Hey, everybody. Uh, this is one of our Politicology Plus segments, which is normally only available to subscribers. But we thought we'd push this one out to the main feed today and give you a taste of what these conversations sound like. You can subscribe to Politicology Plus at politicology.com slash plus. Or if you're in the Apple Podcasts app, you can navigate to the show in that app and click the button to try it for free. Okay. Politicology Plus. Oh, I forgot to mention my other thing, which was the highlight of my week this week. Yeah. Was meeting a 14-year-old girl whose name is oh, Mackenzie. Yes. And and her aunt brought her to DC because she wants to see what it would like, what what it might be like to work here and to make change in the world. And um and it worked out that we, we could meet at the studio and I gave her a little tour and we and we talked for a while and she was just brilliant. Wow. Phenomenal. It was very special and encouraging and she cares about the world. She's volunteering on a on a on a on a I think it's a state house race uh where she lives and she had great questions and uh it was just it was it was really cool. But it, oh, 15 it, that, going on, neat. 14 going on 15 yeah. and she asked for a Politicology Plus uh, subscription from her parents for her birthday. There you go. Well, then that was her birthday present. She's probably yeah. listening. I know. But, you know Hello. Mackenzie. Hello, Mackenzie. But the, you know, I think we get so many of us get get so cynical. Yeah. Um, you know, I, you know, me at the end of my career, yeah. or, or anyone who's in, in Washington. But there still really are you know young idealistic yeah. um, people who come to this town. Yes. You know who are still interested in public service and and and, yeah. and about politics, and that's fantastic. And I think you know I'm glad you did that because you know, one of the things as I at the end of my career I found most rewarding was kind of that mentorship. I'd meet every yeah. new operations officer, you know, who, who came through, you know, the farm, um, you know, our training uh, 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 kind of evolution. The CIA farm. Right. Um, <laughs> that, that, and, and, and as they were going out to their first, yeah. first posting, and I had to kind of fight my old cynicism yeah. um, because they were so, they were young, idealistic. They were doing this for the right reasons. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, you know, we've all been in this town a long time, but there still really are, you know, kind of great young Americans who yes, want, and it's are. on both sides of the political aisle. Um, but who want to come and serve, and I think that's something to be cultivated, and totally. and that's that's wonderful that that you you know you you spend some yeah. time with her, and it's you know this is also I go out I, I you know I spent last week I was with Georgetown University students and Catholic University students, um, uh, you know either via Zoom or in person giving some some yeah. lectures and talks on intelligence, but also about what it's like to serve at the CIA and about the you know kind of the the kind of the beauty of public service, um, and they're still young and idealistic, and they're not kind of old and jaded and, and, and cynical like I am. So that's really good. So I'm glad you did that. I mean, everybody has to answer the question, why? Why do you want to do this? Why do you care? What it, and, and that takes some, that takes some deep sort of introspection. And I, it was really, really encouraging um, to, to, to meet her. And also she brought me cupcakes for her birthday. Wow. Cupcakes from my favorite place in DC, Baked and Wired. Like nice. it was really, really good. Anyway, okay, so we are, hello, Politicology Plus. Hello, Mackenzie. Hi, <laughs> Mackenzie. Hi, Mackenzie. On, uh, we're kind of going to talk about Hunter Biden. So on Wednesday, CNN reported that the Justice Department um, investigation now into Hunter Biden's business activities picked up steam in recent months. Uh, federal investigators have been speaking to witnesses over the last several weeks, and they are expected to conduct more interviews over the next few weeks. The probe began as early as 2018 and is investigating multiple financial and business activities in foreign countries. 
Investigators are looking into whether Hunter Biden and some of his associates violated money laundering, tax, and foreign lobbying laws, as well as firearm and other regulations, according to CNN. At this point, uh, Hunter Biden has not been charged with a crime and has denied any wrongdoing. But these questions about his business activities have been in the political spotlight since 2019. Donald Trump's first impeachment trial was kicked off because of his phone call with Vladimir Zelensky, in which he in which he asked Zelensky to investigate the Bidens uh, because of Hunter's work for a Ukrainian energy company called Burisma. Much of the investigation has focused on Hunter Biden's business involvement in Ukraine. He served on the board of Burisma and was paid as much as fifty grand a month from 2014 to 2019. The Obama White House raised concerns about a potential conflict of interest at the time. Uh, Joe Biden has said that his son's work in Ukraine had no influence on his decision-making, and the State Department officials uh, said they were never influenced improperly, according to CNN. Now, weeks before the 2020 election, the New York Post published an article about alleged emails from Hunter Biden. Rudy Giuliani and Stephen Bannon claimed to have obtained the emails and other private materials from a laptop left at a computer repair shop in Delaware. The FBI took possession of that laptop in late 2019. Uh, and at the time, Facebook limited the spread of the story while it was sent to third-party fact-checkers, which was not Facebook's standard process, uh, but it wasn't unprecedented. Initially, the story was the number three trending topic on Twitter, but was later blocked by Twitter. Twitter also temporarily locked the accounts of then-White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany and the New York Post for violating their rules to prohibit publishing hacked materials. Both scenarios were part of Facebook and Twitter's planning exercises for the 2020 election, including the possibility of a hack and leak situation of potentially unverified emails that could swing the election. That's according to the Washington Post. And a reaction to the 2016 operations that leaked hacked emails from Hillary Clinton's campaign chair, John Podesta. Now, the story moved into the spotlight again over the last two weeks after the New York Times and, and Washington Post were able to verify the veracity of some of the emails contained on the laptop. The Post asked two security experts to examine the data. One was a Johns Hopkins University uh, security researcher, uh, Matt Green, and a forensics expert and former NSA operative who hacked computers of foreign adversaries, uh, Jake Williams. They were able to verify nearly 22,000 emails through a cryptographic signature that would be nearly impossible to fake. That's out of nearly 129,000 emails and 217 gigs of data that was given to the Post uh, by Republican activist Jack Maxey. Both said there was not clear evidence of tampering but could not authenticate the contents. Um, they were able to verify the email at the center of the New York Post story from one of the Burisma executives who thanked Hunter Biden for inviting him to D.C. and allowing him to meet Joe Biden on April 16th, 2015, at the Garden Room at Cafe Milano. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot going on here. Um, there's a ton of there's a ton of detail. There's a ton of uh, intrigue. Um, but Mark, you've got some uh, sort of You've looked into this very closely. You can you can maybe give us some insights that we're missing here. The reason I wanted to talk about this in the plus segment today, though, was was because it was true and it was censored, and this seems to be a very 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 big problem to me. Um, this could take us into a conversation about privacy and where our public square is now privatized. Now we could, it could take us all kinds of places, but the immediate 
the immediate political impact of this is going to be that Republicans will scream they were right because they were right. And the story was squashed. And this was such a big story that it certainly, if it had been allowed to breathe and develop, could have absolutely influenced the election. Um, So, Mark, why don't you lead off with any details, background history that we need to understand about this? Um, And then, Lucy, maybe we'll get to the, the, the political, you know, consequences. So I think you have to look at this in terms of kind of uh, what has historically been, you know, Russia's use of information operations. Um, and there's a, there's a difference between an information operation where you're, you know, promulgating the truth and disinformation, which is where you're making something up, propaganda. So it's, it's, it's pure and simple. Um, I, I, you know, there was a history that Rudy Giuliani had um, working with someone we know was a agent of Russian intelligence uh, in Ukraine to dig up dirt on uh, on Hunter Biden, um, uh, the uh, the White House um, uh, and and Rudy Giuliani were warned by the FBI and Robert O'Brien, the National Security Advisor, you know, per reporting um, that that Rudy was uh, you know uh, you know working in concert with a known agent of Russian intelligence. So that it goes into you know, and and so so again, as we talking about the legitimacy of what they uncovered, um, that still is part of. Uh, of kind of Russian intelligence uh, modus operandi, and I think it's in, 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 you know important to, to and, and Rudy Giuliani in essence is a witting collaborator with Russian intelligence. Now, did did, did Russian intelligence push the actual Hunter Biden laptop issue? You know, I, I don't think we know, um, but Rudy Giuliani and all of his activities uh, in Ukraine in digging up this on Hunter Biden, um, uh, you know, you know certainly was acting no in a knowing fashion. Um, that Russian intelligence was was kind of behind and pushing this. And so, you know, I think the concern that a lot of us had in the national security sphere, um, uh, and, and I certainly was retired at the time, um, was that this was something that was going to be similar to, you know, things that the Russians did in 2017 in the French election. Um, they hacked into Macron's campaign and they released true emails designed to discredit Macron. And so, you know, when we talk about this, this, this had the hallmarks of a Russian information operation, um, you know, I think there, you know, that, that still stands and, and let me just kind of throw this and I, I should have started with this. There was a letter that was written by, um, uh, or signed by 51 former uh, national security officials where, where there was a warning, um, that this, this kind of had the hallmarks of a inform- Russian information operation. Exactly what I, what I talked about now, where this gets complicated is after this occurred, um, you know, and, and just, you know, uh, there was, there was, uh, members of the press. Um, and including the Biden campaign, who then started calling this, you know, this was disinformation, meaning right. that the emails were not were not true, not true. And that's not right. something that um, that I was concerned about. Um, that's not something that was said in that letter um, that was that was kind of put forth and is subject to a lot of controversy now. And so, uh, you know, I, I still think that those concerns are valid, um, and that Rudy Giuliani and anything that he did had so much, frankly, Russian stink on him, and he does um, that it makes this really suspect. I think that if there was a different individual involved, and I, and I mean this quite seriously, yeah. if there had been someone else other than Rudy Giuliani who was not completely tied into Russian intelligence, it's a far different conversation that we're having. Yeah. Part of what's the problem about this politically is the way that the information then is treated once it is in the public square. And if we just take the case of Hunter Biden, I feel like one of the biggest problems in the dialogue between, let's say, Twitter on the left and the right or whatever people, Republicans and Democrats, is that 
Democrat Republicans are like, look at this. This is crazy. And then Democrats reaction is basically to be like, Hunter Biden is just a poor recovering drug addict who now paints and lives in Malibu or wherever. And that we we like we have this impulse. It's very tribal to boil these things down to black and white. And they're not. Hunter Biden is a problematic character. Even if Joe Biden committed no wrongdoing, we should just name the fact that the reason Hunter Biden had a contract at a rate of $600,000 a year from a Ukrainian energy company is because that energy company hoped to influence U.S. policy as it related to them. There is no other explanation. Hunter Biden is not independently successful in energy or a particular expert. They were paying Hunter Biden in hopes that he would use his influence on the Obama administration through his father, whatever. And we have previously, and Molly has previously explained exactly how this is the Russian MO to, 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 this is what they do. This is normal. And it, and it is, it is reasonable also to hold in our minds that Hunter Biden is a problematic character who um, has found advantageous situations and is personally not that concerned about the appearance of this and is happy to use his connections of this incredible, these incredible uh, and and the power that comes from nepot- from basically being the son of Joe Biden, that that he could do that and that we should say that's untoward. And also that Joe Biden may have completely clean hands in this and did not participate in this, right? And and Joe Biden himself has become fairly open about the challenges with Hunter and Hunter making mistakes. Part of what's so, so disappointing about this whole episode is that no matter how much Democrats do then take the kind of high road and say, yes, this looks bad. Yes, Hunter Biden should do this. Yes, Hunter Biden is a bad actor in this way or took advantage of a situation. It doesn't, that doesn't then cause Republicans to give Democrats more credit, right? It's like we're on year a million of but her emails, right? And so it just, it creates a really bitter, unproductive landscape when I think if most people are being honest with themselves, it's hard to argue that Hunter Biden has not put himself at the center of stuff that's pretty yeah. flippin' unsavory. Yeah. So I have a question. Maybe this is bad framing. And if it is, tell me that. But it it's almost, okay, we have this, um, we have a cultural respect for whistleblowers, right? Um, we tend to value the role that they play. What happens when the whistleblower is a foreign adversary. That's effectively what you mean by an information operation, right? They they did this intentionally, but the information was accurate. What does it mean then when, when there's a foreign adversary whistleblower who's doing it with nefarious intentions to influence an election, uh, but the information is actually true and the American people deserve to know and we should we should take it seriously and 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 act accordingly, Mark. Well, you know, I think you've painted a picture of exactly what what happened. 
Um, and so, you know, ultimately it's for the United States to, to investigate. Um, I think that, that, you know, there is some concern when this happens, you know, you know, days or weeks before an election, because clearly there's nefarious intent and, and Russia is just not another country. It's our, it's one of our key, you know, adversaries. And so, uh, you know, there, there is, I, I think that it just, you know, we have to look at this as that it is a complex matter. Um, it should be investigated. You know, that, that is the right response. Um, uh, but one of the problems that we have is that, a, a, you know, a political party in the United States takes that and runs with it. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's, that's problematic here. Look, um, the, 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 the notion that, uh, you know, uh, children of presidents are problematic is not new right. to no. <laughs> President Biden. Um, we could have a discussion for about three hours on yeah. the Trump children. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm not saying oh, that totally. that excuses anything that Hunter Biden did. Yeah. Um, but historically, this has happened to previous presidents yeah. as well. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's nothing wrong with the investigation going forward. Yeah. Um, I think it has to. One of the things, though, I think that will leave a bitter taste in many Democrats um, uh, you know, your minds is, you know, if Hunter Biden ends up going to jail yeah. and perhaps he may, yeah. um, and no, you know, there, and no sanction has ever come for right. kind of the, the activities of, of the Trump kids right? or, or kind of the, you know, some of the, you know, incredible, you know, malpractice in terms of ethics from Absolutely. the Trump administration. I think that, that a lot of people that, that, that's, it, it doesn't sit well. Yeah. I, um, and I think that's, that's fair. Uh, totally it, it, fair. very fair. Absolutely. I mean, <sighs> I okay. Let's talk about the let's talk about the Facebook and Twitter angle to this, um, because we should be we sh- we should now be talking about how they handled the situation at the time. Where's Molly when we need her? I know, I know. I don't know if she's still in Lithuania, but she's back. Oh, is she? Yeah, I just uh, I just uh, did a class with her. With her with, I did some with her Georgetown class. So I mean, look, they 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 have for me the social media platforms. And the the mainstream media journalism as an institute has egg on its face because of this episode. And I haven't yet seen any mea culpas or retractions or anything like that from any of them. We're probably not going to see that, which for me continues to erode my trust in their ability to be fair arbiters of information. And so I wonder, Lucy, what you think about the decision by Facebook and Twitter, for example, to stop the sharing of information during the election at the time. And based on what we know now, how, if, should they adjust their policies? If so, how should they adjust their policies? Um, And should we expect for them to, you know, apologize or say we got it wrong or how do you think about that? Well, I think about this in two streams. One is that hindsight is 2020. Oh yeah. And campaigning is changing so much every cycle, even throughout cycles. And the way that digital impacts, this is your wheelhouse, but the way that digital has completely turned campaigning on its head is different every cycle. And so a presidential year is four years after the previous presidential year. And it's a completely different world than where the digital platforms were then, right? Like, we didn't have TikTok. TikTok didn't exist in 2016, right? By 2020, it was not even much of a force in our politics, but we can see that by 2024, it's going to be a massive, mass have a massive impact on, on elections, despite yeah. targeted victory's best efforts. But <sighs> I say that to say 
I, I'm not willing necessarily to indict executives at Facebook and Twitter on this issue because I think they were trying to do the best they had with the information they had at the time. And I think that the, the, uh, the scars of the fairly fresh scars of the flow of information around Hillary Clinton's campaign, around WikiLeaks, all of the stuff that came out in 2016, that's, that's the thing that would freak you out a little bit in terms of how to handle it. And I also would say the other thing that, so I'm, I'm not taking a position, but that's one thing that I think about when I think about how to think about this. And the other piece that I'll leave you with is the fact that what is our idea anyway of what the public square, if we, okay, mm-hmm. we can agree that, okay, the social platforms are a public square. It's changing. We all get that. What, how do we define public square? Because yeah. in a traditional yeah. public square, the person who gets the most attention is the person who can shout the loudest and is attracting the largest crowd and has the biggest signs or whatever. In the public square of a social media platform, it's who has the content that the algorithm of the social platform is boosting, right? And that is based on all kinds. We don't really know what it is. We still don't. It changes all the time. We probably never will. And so- in a way, yes, I understand it would have been better had this not happened in the way it did. But even if it hadn't, it's so hard to know. The public square thing is challenging. It's really challenging. Because there are so many things. And I don't think we do have a right to know what Twitter's content promotion algorithm is or Facebook's. I I don't. And so it it's it's more complicated than just. I guess yeah. I'm trying to say it's more complicated than just did the posts go on the platform or not? Does that uh, yeah. make sense? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, it I, does. I, I would argue that you know the, the contention that this helped uh, or or the actions of Twitter and Facebook helped sway the election by not putting on their platform. I, I think that's you know again. So, so what is the the public? Spirit? This was this story was out there everywhere. Um, you know, Twitter and, and Facebook made a decision. Um, it didn't stop. 99.9% right. of the American people right. from Good knowing point. what this was. Good point. Um, you know, you know, in terms yeah, of, but, but hold on, but uh, pop, I want to interject for one minute. You're right. I, I don't think it did. However, all the information that they did get about it was right wing screaming about the, how awful it was. And to the extent that the mainstream media reported on it, it was considered conspiracy and and like That's it was too, it was information to be dismissed. And so I think the effect of what the platforms did was to make the dialogue around the information even more toxic than it would have been if journalism had been allowed to um to 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 do its job at the time and and maybe we would have had more credible but there wasn't enough time yeah you know i mean it, it you know it, it, it it's taken you know months and or if not years to actually come to the conclusion on on what this was so and, and this is the danger of it of information like this coming out right before an election let me go back to once again yeah. um you know you know how our our, our adversaries do this um you know and 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 frankly you know rudy giuliani put this out at a certain time on purpose yeah, you know, just Absolutely. just before an election, so there could not be um, any kind of debate or dialogue or or fact checking, and so it's a blast designed to influence. And so, you know, I I, I tend to agree with Lucy is that I, I don't think we should beat ourselves up too much about this. Mm. Um, you know, for, perhaps there's lessons learned, uh, you know, for the future, but the actions 
on uh, what these social media platforms took at the time seemed to be, um, you know, pretty mature again, after what happened in 2016. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and frankly, the Russians, uh, you know, uh, ability to use, uh, you know, uh, the infrastructure in the United States on social media to actually really kind of help influence an election. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I, I mean, this, this, this problem of the public square, uh, and, and we should say <laughs> there, 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 this is like a weeks long conversation, but this, this this idea that the public square is not public anymore it's actually completely privately held by these by these corporations and they sort of form i think someone uh someone described it as a as a speech cartel um which is which is interesting in that they all tend to enforce the same policies in the same way um and that there isn't a public correlate to what we consider the pub, the, the public square there actually isn't a public square anymore it's all private now anyway this is we're not going to solve this or untangle this today, but this is very much going to be at the center of of American politics for un, until we do resolve it. And I have a feeling it's going to come to more sharp pain points before we are uh, before we're willing to tolerate touching anything close to the First Amendment and what it means now. Um, uh, anyway, it's um, <laughs> watch this space, I suppose, but. You know, we all this this conversation also should expand from just talking about, you know, the Trump kids and Hunter Biden, and should force us to have a real conversation about the ethics of family members and elected officials uh, profiting off of their position of power. Uh, and again, this sort of takes us back to executive authority and privilege and all yes. the things that we are unwilling to address democratically uh, for the reasons we adjust in the main show. It's just. I mean, look at, you know, a, you know, a, a good friend of mine, former CIA officer, Abigail Spanberger, has put forth a bill yeah. to, you know, ban uh, uh, congressmen and c- congresswomen from, uh, from trading yeah. from in, in stocks, you know, yeah. and that's and a Nancy real, Pelosi was like, nah, we're, yeah. we're going to keep doing that. And, but you know what? It's, she flipped. Did she? Um, oh, Pelosi, oh, is, Pelosi is supporting this now okay. because of the groundswell of support in this wow. because ethics do matter. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think, uh, you know, uh, it, you know, Spanberger's, uh, you know, bill is spot on and, and what is interesting is it seems to have hit a nerve with the with the mm. American public. So I think there is, you know, there is a need to have kind of, and, and let's go even to this, you know, we, we want to go to plus, plus, plus the Supreme Court right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. And questions on Clarence Thomas. Absolutely. And again, a, another family member, his wife, who is engaged in all sorts of wild conspiracy thought. Uh, uh, and so I, I think that, you know, ethics of family members does matter. And just the idea that, hey, just because it's a family member doesn't influence... That just no. that doesn't fly. No, it doesn't fly. And also to your point, like the the role, the significance of presidential children throughout time has always been a major factor. It's it's a, it's a major consideration for, for example, the Secret Service, right? Because they're essentially attack vectors to get to the president to change his behavior. Uh, and I don't know how we don't see that, recognize that, and start to close some of these things. Um, we should have Abigail on to talk about that. Absolutely, talk about that for sure. Um, Okay, what are we what are we missing? Did we do it? I think we did. <laughs> maybe maybe we should take this plus episode and actually push it out on the main feed and let people hear what a what a plus conversation is like. Um all right, uh, Politicology Plus, we love to hear from you. We're going to do more Q&As, um, so send in your questions. We've already had some some really good ones, some some interesting ones. Uh, we have a dedicated inbox just for you that is uh, plus at politicology.com, uh, and we will talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. <laughs>